Welcome to another Sunday morning Salvation by Grace message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly in Smyrna, Tennessee. We are currently engaged in a verse-by-verse exposition through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty. chapter 8, the very first verse of Romans chapter 8, we quote frequently because it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And we do quote it frequently, but it has a context. We're going to continue through chapter 8 here and see what that context is is. For sake of the larger context, let's do a quick review of what we've done the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, we read Romans 7, and we emphasized that Paul has said, achieving justification by the law, regardless of Jew or Gentile, regardless of saved, unsaved, regardless of any other circumstances, being saved, being justified, achieving your own righteousness by the standard of the law is impossible. He's going to pick up that idea now that he has established it in chapter 7. He's going to pick it up again in chapter 8. He tells us that the fault is not with the law. The law is fine, the law is holy, the law is perfect. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is you. The problem is the fact that in our flesh, we can't be good enough to live up to the standards, the obligations of the law. If anyone could, according to the 
rules that were given to Moses in the first place. If anybody could do the law, they would live by the law. So far, nobody save Christ has ever done it. Therefore, justification via the law is an impossibility. But then after we read all of chapter 7 telling us that, we got to chapter 8, verse 1, And we read, there is now therefore no condemnation. And we said, oh, hooray, because Jesus has done it all. Jesus has accomplished what we cannot accomplish. And that leads to the notion that because Jesus did it all and we can't do any of it, that we are not required then to do anything. And so last week, we talked about the obligations the responsibilities, the standards that come with Christian profession and Christian life, Christian living. The fact that you have been saved by a holy God, that holy God can then say to you, be holy as I am holy. And so chapter 8 is going to continue along the line of, now that you know that it is impossible, now that you know that you can't be saved by the law, now that you know that Christ has done it all, get in the fight. Get in. In the battle, because now we know what flesh accomplishes. Nothing. The flesh simply can't do it. And we know that Christ has paid the price utterly and completely for our sin debt. And we know that God has given us his spirit, his Holy Spirit. And so our sinful flesh that is incapable of justifying ourselves is at enmity with the spirit of God that inhabits us. Therefore, there is a fight. There is a battle. There is a war that goes on between our flesh and the Holy Spirit of God that inhabits us. That's why I say get in the fight. Paul is going to say that here in the first part of chapter 8. Now, typically, when we think of Romans chapter 8, we think about the Romans 8, 28 and 29. We can't wait to get there. We can't get to the all things work together for good. We can't wait to get to the golden chain of redemption. We can't wait to get to all that predestinary election stuff. But the first part of chapter 8 is all about the fact that we are living in the flesh. We do have the Holy Spirit and that the battle ensues. So how are you going to walk? How are you going to live? Are you going to walk by the flesh, which is one side of the battle, or are you going to walk by the spirit, which is the other side of the battle? If you're not in the fight, then some side has already won. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're not in that fight, then your flesh won. And your sinful flesh, Paul is going to say repeatedly, Leads to death, leads to judgment and condemnation. And far too many folk, I believe, have seen the reality that Christ has, in fact, done it all. I don't deny that in the least. Oh, thank God it's true. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Yes, absolutely. But if you could be converted to Jesus Christ and then instantly die... That would be optimal Christianity. The problem is you're converted to Christ and then you got to live here on this planet, on this sin-soaked, God-forsaken planet. you got to live here in this present evil age. And you have to walk through this world where you are inundated day by day with all kinds of temptations to sin and to your flesh. And after a while of being bombarded with all of that, you start thinking that what we're doing is just what the world does. It's just natural. It's just okay because the world says it's okay and there's power in numbers and advertising says it's all right and the government has said that it's legal and all of these things just bombard us on a daily basis and the question is who's going to win is your flesh going to win is the world going to win is the world going to entice you and encourage you to go ahead and walk by your flesh 
or are you going to walk by the Holy Spirit of God that resides inside you? That's what the first part of chapter 8 is about. And it's not unique to chapter 8. It's also something that Paul says frequently in his theology. We talked about it last week that Paul talks about the flesh and the spirit, the flesh and the spirit, and the war that goes on between them. And I keep saying, get in the war. Get in the battle. If you're not in the battle, somebody won. And if the spirit won then you must be perfectly righteous and holy. And we'd all have to applaud you and say, well, well done you. Except I don't think there's anybody in the room who can say, okay, I'm not in the fight because the Holy Spirit of God has made me so incredibly holy that I no longer have to battle my flesh. That just doesn't exist anywhere. So if you're not in the fight, it can't be that the spirit won. It has to be that the flesh won, that the flesh just became satiated enough or convinced enough that what is going on in the world is the right way to go, that you've just kind of given up. You've just stopped fighting. You, you've quit battling. Now, now, listen, am I talking really fast this morning? I'm still just introducing, just so you know, but I, I got a ways to go, so I'm trying to compress it all here. I admit, I'm very, very aware that if you're in the fight and you've been in the fight for a long time, anybody want to testify? I've been alive long enough that I've been in the fight for a while now. I've been in this Christian ministry thing more than 30 years since I started my internship in Los Angeles. I mean, that's half my life I've been doing this thing. I'm tired. If you've been in this fight for a long time, you start thinking, what's the point? I mean, I'm willing to admit that the battle's hard. The battle is tough. And you start wanting to be liked. And you start wanting to get along with folks. And you start saying, well, gee, I'm in this world and the world is the way it is. I'm just going to go along and get along. But Paul doesn't give you that option. Paul says, you stay in the fight right up until you breathe your last breath. And your sinful flesh is going to die. And at some point... You're going to stand before the judge of ages, the holy God of creation. And when you stand before him, is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he going to say, what happened to you? I doubt that he's going to say exactly that. But you can make up your own negativity on God's part. So let me encourage you yet again. 18 years, by the way, we talked about this on Wednesday night, 18 years GCA has been a public church. 18 years I've been standing up here encouraging you to just follow the biblical dictates, just do what the Bible says. Let me encourage you yet again. If you've gotten tired, if you've gotten worn out, if you can't take it anymore, just let me encourage you again to hold on to what you know is genuinely right and true because someday eternity is going to catch up with you and it will all have been worth it, even if life here isn't that much fun. Does that make sense? Now, since I have just said life here may not be all that much fun, life here can also be full of joy. There's a great joy to be had in this life on this planet if you know that you are truly, genuinely redeemed and that when you leave this planet, you're going to the eternity that God has planned for you since before the foundation of the world. That ought to make you very happy. That's why we sang happy songs this morning. There is sunshine in my soul today. Why do we sing that? I did that on purpose. I wanted you to sing happy songs about the fact that God has, in fact, redeemed us. That there is no judgment, that there is no condemnation for us. But then also we sang, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice, let the people rejoice. Because if that is your focus, if you recognize who God is in your life, you will not only have joy in life, but you will want to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Father who has done all that for you since before the foundation of the world. 
Romans chapter 8 is going to say, walk by the spirit, don't walk by the flesh. And then it's going to get to God does everything in accordance to his own will for your good and his glory. So it starts with there's now, therefore, no condemnation. And it builds all the way to whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And in between, there's walk like it. In between, there's live by the spirit, not by the flesh. Do you get it? Context. Context, context, context. How many times have I said that word? Three times. For those of you who are counting. Everybody with me so far? Okay, usually Tom is sitting right there and I can hear him laugh and he amends me and I can tell when I've said something that really struck him because he'll vocalize and the rest of you are like an oil painting. And so every once in a while, just throw me a yeah, Jim, or something. Just give me a little encouragement to keep me going if you believe what I'm saying. Okay? Amen. Okay? Yeah, Jim. Okay. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's go back a couple of verses and watch how Paul builds to that. Because Paul does not say that in a vacuum. It has a context. I find then, verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. Now Paul is going to use the word nomos a lot in the following verses. And the early part of chapter 8, he's going to use this, this word nomos, which is translated law consistently in formal equivalent translations like the NASB. They kind of stick with the word law every time that they see nomos. But you're going to see that Paul isn't always talking about the law of Moses. He's sometimes just talking about law generally or principles generally. Like when he says, I find this law of sin in my members. Well, he's not talking about the law of Moses there. And he's not really talking about a law as a series of dictates that have been codified. What he's saying is, I find a principle in me that where I want to do good, I, I just, I can't. So keep that in mind. Even the NASB, by the time we get to chapter 8 and verse 3, he's going to make reference to the law that is clearly a reference to the law of Moses. And then the NASB, to try to differentiate it, since it keeps using the word law, 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 all of a sudden it capitalizes it, just so that you get the idea, oh, the law, the law of Moses. So context, again, is going to determine what law Paul is talking about, but by and large, he's talking about principles here, which is why, in verse 21, we do see the translation, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. Because I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man. So after my inner man, I agree that the law is good, right, holy, and certainly ought to be done. Verse 23, but I see a different law in the members of my body. Okay, so he's not talking about Law, like law of Moses, he's saying, I see a principle in myself that I see this different principle in the members of my body. My mind agrees with the law of God, with the principles of behavior that God lays out. But I see this different principle in the members of my body, in my flesh, that are waging war against the principles that are in my mind. And they make me prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Do you see how black and white that contrast is? I mean, it's just as dramatic as a contrast can be. The contrast is, 
after my inner man, after my mind, I look at the principles of God, the behavior that God dictates, and I agree with it that it really ought to be done. But my flesh is weak. My flesh simply can't accomplish it. So I find, therefore, a principle in my body, in the members of my body, which he calls the law of sin that is in my members, which is what causes him to say, wretched man that I am, who will set me free, specific language, from the body of this death. It is my flesh that is death. It is my flesh that can't do the law of God. Therefore, who's going to set me free from this sinful body? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so that on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the principles of God. But on the other hand, with my flesh, I'm serving the principles of sin. Okay, there's the contrast. This is why I keep saying, get in the fight. That's why I keep saying, the battle ensues, get in the battle. If you're not in the battle, someone won. Paul is saying, the battle is real. The battle between our desire to be pleasing to God, to walk after the principles and the dictates of God are in contrast and at enmity with the fact that our sinful flesh, our sinful, dying, decaying flesh, is constantly wanting to drag us back into that sin and death pleasure that permeates our flesh. Do you get that? Now, I can hear somebody at this moment thinking, because you're thinking really loud, and stop it. I can hear someone thinking, but Jim, are you then saying that there's no pleasure in Christianity? Because you just said that in your flesh, sin and death, and the pleasure that brings you to that sin and death. So then are you saying that Christianity needs to be do, 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 do. Is that what you're saying? Oh, we, oh. March, Christian, is that what you're saying? No, I'm not. I'm saying there is tremendous joy to be found in walking with the Lord, and you will be astounded at the amount of joy you find in having a clear conscience at the end of the day. The ability to lay down, put your head on your pillow, and sleep knowing that you are engaged in the fight, but you are forgiven in Christ, and that you are walking after the spirit that you profess brings tremendous joy to your life. So there is pleasure to be had in Christianity. It's just not sinful, fleshly pleasure. There is therefore now, are you getting tired of this yet? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We always emphasize that there is now no condemnation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. We love that part. The second half of the verse says, to those that are in Christ Jesus. And now he's going to go on and talk about what that means to be in Christ Jesus. Yeah, there's no condemnation, but you've got to be walking in Christ Jesus. You have to be in Christ Jesus in order for there to be no condemnation. It's tremendous joy in the message, there's no condemnation. I'm so happy that there's no condemnation. Good, good, good. The prerequisite is that you're in Christ Jesus. And now he's going to talk about the battle, the war between the flesh and the spirit and that you need to walk by the Spirit, that is how you are in Christ Jesus. Do you see the difference? Somebody talk to me. You know, when I say every week, I don't know why the last couple of months I've been saying this, I stand up here and go, am I alone up here? It's always Tom who says no. 
the rest of you shake your heads, and I can't hear them rattle from up here. So just talk to me so I know I'm not alone. Verse 2. For the law, the principles of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit. That is the spirit that brings eternal life. That spirit is in Christ Jesus. And the principles of that spirit have set you free from the principles of sin and death. Okay, now. People say to me oftentimes, okay, chapter 7. Chapter 7 says you can't do it. Chapter 7 says you're incapable. Chapter 7 says your flesh simply cannot please God. So then why try? So then why pretend I can behave any better? Since I know I'm going to fail continually. You will notice that Paul's language here is that the law, the principles of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, have set you free from the law of sin and death. You're free from the law of sin and death. You're free from the principles of sin and death. Do you believe that? Okay, now he's going to say walk like it. If you're dead to it, I'm dead to it. I'm dead to those sins I used to be involved in all the time before Christ woke me up to the fact that I was doing those sinful things before the law was imposed in such a way that I recognized my own sinfulness. Before all of that, Paul says, I was alive. And then sin taking advantage of the law showed all kinds of sin in me and I died. And then Christ came, took your sin debt on himself. He died and resurrected, leaving your sin debt completely abolished. Therefore, you are now reckoned as dead to sin. Therefore, Paul can say, walk like it. You're free. You're free. You're free. Free indeed. Free. We talk about the freedom of Christianity all the time. And when people think about freedom in Christianity, as often as not, they think, well, that I'm free to do whatever I want. So they think it's just freedom to do whatever, because Paul does say there's no law against me. I can pretty much do whatever I want. Not everything's expedient. Not everything's good. Not everything is helpful for me. But there is no law against me. So people hear that and they say, well, then I can do whatever I want to do. Paul's language here is, you're also free to not do the things you used to have no power over. You used to walk after your flesh all the time because you were powerless to do anything else. Now you're free from the law of sin and death, leaving you free to walk by the Spirit, the very thing you couldn't do when you were walking in your flesh. The very thing you couldn't do before God did save you and say, now, therefore, there's no condemnation. You're now genuinely free. Let's see if I can make this clear. I know I have used this example so very many times, so I'll just give you the shorthand version of the story. But John Riesinger, years ago, was with a bunch of preachers, and when it came time for them to have drinks before dinner, the waiter went around the table asking for drink orders, and everybody was asking for water and milk. And, and then one of the preachers broke the, the mold and said, I'll, I'll have a glass of wine. Well, that did it. All the other preachers then went, oh, I'd like to change my order too. And everybody changed it to a mixed drink or some kind of wine or something like that. And they came around to John, and John ordered still just water. And one of the preachers said to him, but Brother John, don't you have freedom? And he said, yes, but, and this is the quote that I just love, and I've carried, my, carried it with me these past 20 years since I first heard him say it, because I do think it's vitally important for us to remember this fact. He said, yes, but genuine freedom is also the freedom to say no. You didn't used to have the ability to say no to your flesh. 
whatever your flesh wanted, you gave it. And flesh is a tough taskmaster. When was the last time any of you refused when your body said, I'm hungry? You went, well, let's get something to eat. Naturally, of course. Yes, of course you did. But that just shows you how relentless your flesh can be. It will get its way. Take that all the way out into the sinfulness of flesh. And where are you going to find the ability to say no to the things that you never had the ability to say no to before? You're going to find it in Christ Jesus. Because therefore, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So you used to be slave, servant to the law of sin and death. And now you are set free from the law of sin and death. Meaning that you can walk differently than you used to walk. You now have the freedom, not only in what you allow, you have the freedom to say no to the things that you know are flesh and not spirit. Do you understand me? Am I just ranting and raving up here? Because I can say all this to me at home. I don't need to come here and say it out loud to people who aren't getting it. So you getting it? Yes, sir. Okay. Betty, you getting it? Okay. And you know saying no is great because a lot of times you don't think about what's going to happen next after the fact. So very true. I'm so glad I called on you then. Because, verse 3 is going to say what I just said. For what the law could not do. What is it that the law could not do? Justify you. Cannot make you righteous. The law could not do it because it was weak through the flesh. Like I just said, the law is good and right and holy and fine. The problem's not the law. The problem's you, the weakness of your flesh, your incapability to perform the law. Therefore, the law cannot justify you. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Isn't that good news? Aren't you happy you heard that today? The very thing the law could not do, which we all agree was justify us, God did. I'm so glad that he didn't say work harder. I'm so glad that he didn't say so far you're not justified, now get busy. I'm so glad that he did it himself. And how did he do it? He did it through sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh. When we talk about uh, Paul's writing about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I don't know, it's one of those sections. It's in the Corinthian letter, one way or the other. We talk about the fact that there are several different Greek words being used there for condemnation and how sometimes we are judged through the things that God puts on us in the flesh. And Paul culminates that argument by saying, if we are tested, if we are tried in the flesh, then we will not be ultimately condemned with the world. That's the word katakrima. Kata is a down and krima is judgment. It means ultimate condemnation, kata krima. That's the word Paul used here to say that through Jesus Christ as an offering for sin, he kata krimad sin, ultimate judgment for sin in the flesh. So Christ became flesh. He became the Son of God in the likeness of sinful flesh. And then he became an offering for sin in the flesh. And as a result, he condemned sin in the flesh. That is the strongest word for condemnation that you can find in the Greek language. He condemned utterly sin in the flesh. He utterly paid our sin debt. And he crushed sin on our behalf. 
He didn't just do it partially so that we have to make up the difference. He utterly and completely destroyed our sin debt for us and condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. How should you react to your sin in your flesh? If Christ condemned it, if Christ judged it ultimately, how should you react? (laughs) I mean, yes, you should react favorably that, yes, he did that. That's remarkable. That's wonderful. But then how should you react to your own sin in your flesh? You should equally condemn it. You should equally reckon it as dead. And if it's dead, how does it have power over you? That's your flesh. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin And he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law. What was the requirement of the law? Perfection. That you do it. That you do it constantly. That you do it continually. That you do it perfectly. That you do the law in the continuity in which God first laid out the law And you do it in perpetuity from beginning to end, from your first breath to your last breath. That's the requirement of the law. But Christ condemns sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In us. In Josiah. In Leon. Now I'm laughing. I mean, it's done. It's fulfilled in us who, oh, here comes the contingent right here, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, we love the good news. We love there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We love that Christ became the sin penalty and he paid our sin debt and he condemned sin in the flesh so that we could satisfy the requirements of the law. They're fulfilled in us, but we then are the ones who have walked not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Do you see what Paul is doing? Do you understand the contrast that he's setting up? He's setting up that contrast between flesh and spirit, flesh and spirit again. And he's saying, if you are in Christ Jesus, you will walk after the spirit. If you're in Christ Jesus, you walk after the spirit. If you're in Christ Jesus, you will walk after the spirit. What can you deduce from that? If you're not walking in the spirit, you're not in Christ Jesus. These are the standards of Christianity which is now that you are a Christian and now that you know that Christ has condemned sin in the flesh, you ought to reckon it as dead, that it has no power over you, that it has no authority over you. You are no longer a slave to sin and to death. You're a slave to the spirit and to life. And whoever, whoever slave you are, Paul says, that's whose bidding you're going to do. If you're slave to your flesh, you're going to continue walking in the flesh and doing the bidding of your flesh. But if you're of the spirit, then you're owned by the spirit and you're going to do the bidding of the spirit. And that's the difference. Here, let's put it all together. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, And as an offering for sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh. But according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh. Set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit. Set their minds on. On the things of the spirit. He's just continuing the contrast. The things you do. The things you think about. The way you walk. The things that you contemplate. 
need to be the things of the Spirit, which leads to eternal life. And if you contemplate, if you spend your time musing on, if you're constantly thinking about the sinful things of this world, guess what you're going to follow? For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Verse 6, for the mind that is always thinking about fleshly things, what I just described, the mind that is set on the flesh is a fun party time. Is that what it says? The mind that is set on the flesh is death. Is death. If I told you, if I could convince you, or even if I could slightly persuade you, even if I could stick the idea in your head that if you walk through that door right there, you'd die, you'd go out that door. You'd go out that door. You would preserve your own life. You would do whatever you had to do if I pointed out the way to death. You'd say, well, I'm not lining up for that one. I'm not going the way of death. I'm going out the way of life. Okay, Paul has just told you the way of death. Set your mind on the things of the flesh. That means you're going to follow after the things of the flesh. You're going to walk after the things of the flesh. That's what you're going to be concerned about in this life. And he says that is the door to death. And if you knew it, immediately walk out that door, you die, you're going to avoid that door. I think the reason that people continue to walk after the flesh, two reasons. I'll give you two. Number one, they're not sure the Bible really means that. Number two, it's been a long time. Like I said, I've been in this war half my life. I'm tired. And, you know, I see evil people getting away with it. I see evil people growing rich and having good lives and having a good time. And I start thinking, now, wait a minute. Now, I've been serving the spirit. I've been trying to walk after the dictates and principles of God now for these 30 years. And I don't always do it right. And I don't always do it well. But it's still the proclivity of my life. It's still what I'm aiming toward. And, and what do I get? Well, it seems real attractive then to go chase that for a while. But I'm figuring a million years into eternity, let's say, I'm going to be far, far better off than those people who got it all right here, right now. Which means, Joel Osteen, your best life now isn't what Paul is describing. Is that worth pointing out? Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh But those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the Spirit is life, zoe, eternal life, and also peace. Okay, remember a moment ago I told you that there is a positive upside to walking after the Spirit? That there is joy to be had in Christianity. That there is pleasure in knowing that you're okay before God. This is what you get for walking after the Spirit. Not only do you get the promise of eternal life, but right here and now, you get the knowledge that you're at peace with God. God's not angry at you. The same God who is going to provide for you everything you need day by day all the time. The one who's in charge of what kind of life you get. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. The mind that is set on the flesh is death. But the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. Okay, now it just got worse. Because the mindset on the flesh is sinful. And if 
your sinful flesh is constantly satisfying your sinful flesh, that's not godly. If the sinfulness of your flesh does not bother you so that, as I said earlier, the flesh is winning the war, the battle, if that doesn't bother you, well, then I doubt that you have the actual spirit of Christ who is drawing you toward holiness, toward righteousness, toward walking by the spirit. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. Why? Because it does not subject itself to the principles of God. It doesn't subject itself to the principles of God. The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God because it does not subject itself to the principles of God. What is the opposite of that statement? It is the mind that is set on the spirit does subject itself to the principles of God. Now, the mind that is set on the flesh all the time is not subject to the principles of God because it's not even able to do so. All right, now I'm going to get all Calvinistic on you. You ready? What's the first of the five points of the tulip acrostic? Total depravity. Total depravity. That sounds like it's not even able to subject itself to the principles of God. The principles of God are right there for everybody to see. They're right here in the book. We've got all the history, the background, the theology. We've got all that stuff to describe to us what the principles of God are. And human beings in their flesh without the spirit of God not only don't subject themselves to those principles, they can't. They're incapable. They cannot do the things that would please God. What's the opposite of that? Those that are in the spirit can. We couldn't before. We had no ability to do it before. Now we can. Okay. James, have you ever in your life tried to do something to please me? Always. Good answer. Because you hate me? Because you love me. Okay, do we love God? If we love God and we want to please God, then how should we act? How should we walk? After the flesh, before we had the Holy Spirit of God in us, we were incapable of doing the things, doing the principles that were pleasing to God. Now that we have the Spirit of God in us, we are capable of pleasing God. And don't you want to? You should naturally want to if you love him. If you love him, you will walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. If you're walking after the spirit and not after the flesh, that's proof positive that you are, in fact, in Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit of God has taken up residence in you. Because the mind that's set on the flesh is death, and the mind that's set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile toward God and does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those that are in the flesh cannot please God. However, oh, it's a good place for a however. There's a however right there at the beginning of verse 9. However, You are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit if, here's the contingent, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. So it all goes back to God. It all goes back to the Holy Spirit of God. It all goes back to God putting his spirit in you. But if the spirit is in you, you are going to walk by the spirit and not walk by the flesh. It says it right here. 
And if that's the way that you walk, it is proof positive that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are not in the flesh. And if you are not in the flesh, you are not slave to your flesh. And that means that you have the freedom that you didn't have before to say no to those things that your flesh desires so desperately. Am I alone up here? You understand what I'm saying? Because I'm just saying what Paul's saying. However, you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. It's pretty clear. It's pretty cut and dry. By the way, I, I like the language Paul uses. It's very similar to the language that Jesus used when he was promising that he was going to send the Holy Spirit to his apostles in the book of John. He referred to him as the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. And then he said to them, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So he equated himself with the Holy Spirit, showing again that triunity and that interconnected character of the triune God. Here, Paul uses the same language, talking about the Holy Spirit. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ... So notice that if you have the Spirit of God, if you have the Holy Spirit inside you, then you have the Spirit of Christ in you. And if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, if you walk by the flesh continually and you're not in the fight, you're not in the battle, then you don't belong to Christ. There can be a great many reasons why you may be attracted to Christianity. I've known people through the years who were just attracted to the theological machinations that led to uh, intellectual thought and dancing with their brain. You know what I mean. People who just enjoy the engagement of deep theology and heavy tomes written by old dead guys. But the question is always, do you know Christ? Is Christ in you? Because if Christ is in you and you are in Christ, you will walk like it. And if you continue to walk in the flesh, Paul just said, you don't know Christ. Verse 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And if Christ is in you, though your body dies, though your body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, you can look at that verse two different ways. You can say he's talking eschatologically here. He's saying that even though you die, someday you're going to be resurrected. The same power of God that resurrected Christ from the grave is going to resurrect you to ever living life. But I don't think that's what Paul is getting at contextually. He didn't suddenly just go all eschatological on us. I think what he's saying is if the spirit of Christ is inside us, even though our bodies are dying even though the body of sin that we walk in is reckoned dead, nevertheless, in our spirit, we are alive because of the righteousness of Christ, because of the sacrifice of Christ, and because of the righteousness of the spirit that indwells us. Now, I can say this a thousand different ways. I can keep using words on top of words on top of words, and you know I can. I can keep you here all afternoon and just keep saying this same stuff over and over. But it comes down to this. It comes down to if you belong to Christ, act like it. Was that easy enough? Yes. I could have saved you an hour. I could have just said that. If you belong to Christ, act like it. And if you don't act like it. Well, then you're not in the battle. And if you're not in the battle and you're pleasing your flesh, well, then you are, in fact, what is Paul's language? Not in Christ? 
at enmity with God? An enemy of God? One who cannot please God? I mean, the language is pretty consistent. You either are in Christ and walking like it, or you're walking by the flesh and you're in opposition to all the principles of God and godliness. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And if Christ is in you, though your body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit that is indwelling you. You want to know where you're going to get the power, the authority, the ability to say no to the stuff you couldn't say no to before? You have the power of the Holy Spirit of God and you have the power of the resurrection of Christ residing in your body and the very God who did it empowering you to say no to the things you didn't used to be able to say no to. That's such good news. So then, so then, verse 12, we get to so then, so then. So then, brethren, we are not under obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Before you were saved, before you were redeemed, before you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you were enslaved to your flesh. You did your flesh's bidding, no matter what the flesh required, and you were indeed under obligation to your flesh. But now that you have the Holy Spirit of God empowering you, inhabiting you, you are not under obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. How clear is that? If I said that, you'd all be going, you are such a bummer, Jim. Lighten up a little. Paul makes it so plain. If you're living according to the flesh, you have to die. You must die. Because you've got no spirit, no resurrection power in you that would keep you from dying. You end up having to die. You've been following the principles of sin and death. So you have to die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. If not on your own. Not by your own authority, not on your own ability, not because you revved yourself up and believe that you can do better, but by the spirit of Christ that indwells you through that spirit, through that comprehension, you can now put to death the deeds of the body because your body of flesh is dead in Jesus Christ. So reckon your body to be dead. Find the power to live that out and walk by the Spirit in the fact that the resurrection power of God is living inside you by his Holy Spirit. I know I keep emphasizing that adjective, but remember that the Spirit of God that is in you is a Holy Spirit, not a random spirit. You've never heard him referred to as the random Spirit of God. It's always the Holy Spirit of God. For everyone who is being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So if you walk by the Spirit, there is a very big, steep upside, which is this. You are reckoned to be children of God. For you have not received that spirit of slavery leading to fear again, that spirit of bondage, That's going to lead to your fear over and over again that God is going to judge you or that you're going to be ultimately condemned, that you're going to live by your flesh. That's not the spirit of the Holy Spirit. You have received a completely different spirit than that, and you have not received the spirit of slavery that leads to fear again. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we get to cry out, 
Father, Abba. And the Spirit himself, that Holy Spirit of God, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we're children, then we are heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. That's where we'll pick up next week. Do you understand Paul's argument? Do you understand what Paul is getting at? Yes, indeed, we have the Holy Spirit of God. But if we have the Holy Spirit of God, we'll walk like it. We'll act like it. And our flesh will not have power and authority over us. And we'll have the ability to say no to things, not by our own power, but by the power, the resurrecting power of the Holy Spirit that God placed in us. Therefore, you have not only the imperative to do that and the inspiration to do that and the power to do that, the authority to do that, but you also have the hope to do that because not only are you looking forward to your eternity with God, but you're looking forward to your eternity with your father who adopted you. And made you heir with Christ Jesus of everything he has planned in order to glorify his son for all of creation, all of eternity, all of history past. And what can God do when he wants to glorify somebody? I mean, he could whip up some major glorification. There's a nice sentence. He could really glorify Christ. And he makes you fellow heir with Christ. There's a great joy in walking in the spirit is my point. There's a great hope. There's a great looking forward. There's a great payoff to walking in the spirit rather than walking by the flesh. And you have no excuse, no reason that you could say, I believe in Christ. I believe I'm saved, but I live any way I want. That is genuine antinomianism, and that's not what Paul is teaching Paul said, I'm not without law. I'm under the law of Christ. We're under the principles of Christ. And that's why we can look in the New Testament and see these principles and say, yes, that's how we live and behave in these years between our enlightenment and our ultimate death. We live according to the principles of the new covenant. Got it? Yes, sir. Got it? Yes, sir. I was sitting at home reading this stuff again this week, getting ready for this week, and just verse by verse, just sitting there shaking my head, thinking, man, what an astounding God, who in chapter 7 would say we were incapable, depraved sinners, and in chapter 8, let us call him Father. That's remarkable. Now it's going to get even better. As we continue through chapter 8, we're going to find that the people that do get to call him father are the people he chose since before the beginning. He's in absolute sovereign control. If you're in that dynamic where he has chosen you and inhabited you and blessed you, walk like it. All right, can I get a hearty amen? Amen. All right, then. Are there questions? Joni. Is it that last sentence saying that if we are co-heirs with Christ, we will suffer? Yes, but he's also saying, and if we suffer, we're co-heirs with Christ. Both sides of that are true. If you belong to Christ, yes, you're probably going to suffer in this world because it is a sin-soaked evil world, and it's not going to welcome you with open arms. So, yeah, you're likely to suffer because you belong to Christ. But he's also saying that being willing to suffer in this world for Christ's sake is also proof positive that you are heir with Christ And so whatever you lose right here, right now on this planet doesn't begin to measure with what you're going to receive as joint heir with Christ. 
Make sense? Yes, yes Dwayne. And if God is with you, who can be against you? Yeah. And the same Paul who wrote that ended up having his head lopped off in Rome, according to best history and tradition. And so he can't be saying, if God is for us, nobody can harm us or nobody can get us. Instead, he's saying, what we have is so much higher and better than anything this world can offer us, that even if the world were to torture and kill us, we still prevail because nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Anything else? Don't you like the Bible? I told you when I began this morning, I've come to encourage you. Did it work? Because I could stay home and say this to me and feel good about it all day. All right, say goodbye to the Internet congregation. Goodbye. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace morning message. We invite you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for weekly updates, books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding audio archive. Join us again next time as we delve into the Word of God and study His sovereign grace.